0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com. Okay, today we are discussing Tefillah and where is the source, the first person in the world who prayed? And the answer is usually the answer is Abraham Avinu. Abraham Avinu, in this week's parasha, which is very, very topical, parashat va'era, va'era, Hashem appears to Abraham after his Brit Milah his circumcision. And, and he sees three angels, he sees three people over there, he doesn't know the angels, and he runs, leaves Hashem to do the mitzvah of Hachnasat <inaudible> Orchim. To do the mitzvah of having guests. And then Hashem tells him that he is going to destroy Saddam. So I just want to read it to you, because it will see the good, backwards and forwards. So Hashem appears to Abraham, and he says, Zaka Sedom and The cries of Sedom and Amorah. Kirabah. Great cries. Tremendous cries. I hear the noise of these people crying to me. The people who are being oppressed in Sedom and Amorah. They're being oppressed. The khatatam and the sins of Sodom and Amorah. Kikavdameon are very, very heavy. And uh, he tells Abraham. And Abraham says, Are mm-hmm. you going to kill even the righteous with the illicit? Mm-hmm. Even if, if there's 150, sorry, 50 tzadikim in the middle of the city, will you kill them as well? And the backwards and forwards, they go backwards and forwards from 50 down to? 40. 10. Or 40, 30, so on, so mm-hmm. Till 10. So the question we have is number one, is where did Abraham have been? What gave him the audacity to argue with Hashem? What gave him the audacity to argue with Hashem? Yes, because Hashem opened up the conversation. So yeah, so it obviously meant that he wanted to have a conversation with him. You know, maybe you'd say that, but Noah didn't say that. Hashem opened a conversation. Noah. Noah. People are, are evil. I'm going to destroy the whole world. And also "Believed it." Yeah, of course. He didn't, he didn't. So how come Noah Abraham didn't believe it? How come Abraham you viewed this as an opportunity to argue? So listen, I'm just telling you my perspective because it, this is missing from the text. It's missing. What if gave? Lot was there. Could Lot was you? in Sodom, yes. So why stop at ten? Lot is in Sodom, uh, that's interesting. Uh, let's remind me of that. Remind me of that point quickly. Remind me, yeah? please. Don't let me run away, please. Okay. So because maybe Abraham believed that you could change people, whereas Noah didn't feel that. Very good, are. excellent. Abraham believed that you can change people. Very, very important point. You can change people. Abraham was busy changing people. He was successful. said, <laughs> <laughs> He was successful in changing people. So what gave him the audacity to argue with Hashem? And the answer is, listen to this answer. I think, this is my perspective. Abraham Avinu was, he became, he appointed himself, self-appointed ambassador of God in the world. He's the self-appointed ambassador of God in the world. What does that mean? I am bringing God to the people. I represent God in the world. And I'm the go-between between God and the people. So I've, he's self-appointed. Imagine, he's self-appointed. I am teaching people about God. And I am spreading PR about God. God is great. He's just. He's kind. And here God is going to do something which is going to upset the whole balance of the PR. He's, not, he's going to do something which is not just. And that's what he argues with God. How can you, the creator of the world, who well, I'm spreading the word of God in the world? Look what he says. Would you not spare the place of the 50, because of 50 righteous people? It would be sacrilegious for you to do such a thing, to bring death to the righteous. It will be Halil <laughs> How do you translate that? Here the al translation is sacrilegious. Halil <laughs> How can you do such a thing? How can you even think of such a thing? It's not worthy of your name, Hashem. I'm spreading your name in the world. I'm telling everyone you're a kind God, you're a righteous God, you're a, you're a God of justice, and here you're going to do something which is totally against all the principles I'm standing for. How can you do that? So why was he arguing with God? Because he is the ambassador of God in the world. I'm trying to spread God in the world. I'm saying such good things about you, and then you're going to come and destroy the whole image I'm setting up for you. I'm setting you up in the world as a God people should worship, and you're going to come and destroy everything I said. So that's that was that's that's my perspective, because he really cared what people thought about God. Abraham really really cared. He wanted God to be perceived as a God of justice. He wanted God to be perceived as a God of goodness. He wanted God to be perceived as a God of righteousness. And here Hashem is going to just come along one second, destroy Saddam and all the righteous people, and destroy this principle. Abram says, I'm your representative. Well, I'm going to take all the flack. Who's going to take the flack for this? Abraham, you're, aren't you representing God in the world? Don't you preach about God in the world? Look what the God just did. He destroyed the righteous with the equal. How can we believe in such a God? so Abraham says Hashem you can't do this it's going to destroy what I've been built up it's amazing it's amazing this is amazing now we can understand because he really believed God is righteous and he's pre- preaching God is righteous God is just God is this God is that now, and once once Shoup Hashem is going to destroy that image of a nice God it's going to be a God of justice who doesn't even spare the righteous Ooh. Now we've seen that we have the history in the Holocaust we've seen it the righteous went there's no Abraham to pray there's no Abraham to argue. We are called today an orphan generation. What do you mean an orphan generation? We don't have some a father, a protector. The rabbis in those days were protectors. Abraham was a protector of the generation. Imagine. The generation got away with everything because of one man who was arguing on their behalf. Yes, yeah, sorry. So, I've always not understood this because why didn't he argue with Hashem when Hashem said, take it back and check I told you, because he, was, he wasn't arguing about himself. He didn't care. I can't no, argue about it's myself. The same thing, right? It's, not the, thing. it's same, not the same thing. I'll tell you why it's same, not the same don't, thing. Don't children, I'll right? tell you why it's not the same thing. Don't, don't sacrifice your children. I'll tell you why it's not the same thing. I'll tell you why. And number one, number two, listen. So the question is, why did God not Why did Abraham not argue with God when God says, "Take your son, take your son"? By the way, the ten trials of Abraham start off with number one is the trial of leaving your house, leaving your birthplace, and leaving your family. That's the first test. In other words, what does that mean? Leave what? Leave all your beliefs. Leave your past. Leave your cut yourself off from the past. Cut yourself off from the family. This is expected of every gari. Every convert has to do these three things. That's true. Leave your family. Family is the last one. Leave your place. Leave your home and leave your leave your family. Gosh, it's so hard to be here. to leave. Cut off. Why? The Conqueror. past is the past. A convert has to leave their home. Yeah. What do you mean, leave their home? I mean, mm-hmm. figurative the home. In which they what leave. does that mean? It means you've got to come and adopt to them. another culture. you come and adopt yourself. You have to leave the past behind. Cut okay. yourself off from the past. You've got to change. Mm-hmm. You're not the same person anymore. You get a new name. You get a new parent. Who's, pa- who's your parent now? Abraham. Abraham, Avinu. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah are the parents of the. Why? Because they themselves were the first converts. Who converted them? They converted themselves. Hashem told him how to do it. You have to leave the past behind. And his last test, according to some, was the test of Yitzchak. What test was that? Cut yourself off from your future. future. He only has one son. Mm -hmm. Imagine the first test was cut yourself off from the past. Cut yourself off from your parents. Cut yourself off from your history. The last test is cut yourself off from your posterity. That was the why hardest future? test because why why I'm killing future? my only son, yeah. who's going to pass the message down in the future. Well, so if this is the lesson for us that we should. One second. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to, yeah, you get the, you get the idea. The first test is cut yourself off from the past, and the last test is cut yourself off from the future. So, what do you have? Very good no, question. Why? Because it, right. I'll tell you why. It wasn't real. It was a test. Don't forget. What? It was was only a test. Hashem was testing Abraham. It wasn't to be done. In fact, Rashi says over there, Abraham misunderstood God's instructions. It's very strange, Rashi. If I tell you this, Rashi, people say, Rashi said that? (laughs) What? Abraham misunderstood? Yeah, it's a very unusual Rashi. Rashi says, no, it wasn't just Rashi. Ibn Ezra also says that. Abraham misunderstood the test. He misunderstood. God never said, kill him. God says, raise him up so he raised him up and now said, take him down he doesn't say kill him doesn't say anywhere to kill him doesn't say shaktan raise him up so put him on the altar and take him down make him a holy person that's, that's the idea the idea is we have to raise our children and that's why the word for raising children is to raise people don't realize it. it comes from this word exactly ha'alehu raise him up raising children doesn't mean to push them down but raise them up build them up make them holy it's interesting how we have this in the English language, we don't, no one pays attention to it, number one. Number two is no one realizes it and raises up their children. You have to raise up your children, you have to build up your children, you have to make your children holy. That's the, the, that's the idea of education. Education is from the word chinuch. Education is Hanukkah. What's Hanukkah? Dedication. It's not just education, it's the same word as dedicating the child. You're dedicating the child to God. You're raising the child to God. Halehu So, the test was, will he actually go through with this or not? In his own understanding, really, Hashem didn't say that. Hashem says, put him on the altar, take him off. But he misunderstood it. But that shows the greatness of Abraham. He was willing to go against all his principles, because if you get a message, if you didn't get a message directly from God, number one is, for others I'll argue. For myself I won't argue. For myself I'll never argue with God. But for others, today we're the opposite of Abraham. For ourselves, we're willing to argue with God. For many things, we want this, we want this, we want this. What about what about what about Iran? What about the Jewish people? What about Israel? So we have to think bigger than, broader than just my own personal interest. Mm-hmm. The person's got to think broader, and that's the difference between a regular person and a gadol Israel. Gadol Israel, the great ones of Israel, not just worry about themselves. They don't worry about themselves. They worry about klal Israel. That's a gadol. That's a great person. A great person worries about the community. So. Uh, Abraham Vinu is arguing, not for himself. Who's he arguing for? He's not even asking, arguing for the people. He's arguing for your own Hashem, your own PR. What are people going to think of you? How am I going to spread an idea of a God who is a mean, miserly, uh, uh, not justice, injustice. I'm preaching to everyone, you're, you're righteous, and you're, you have justice, and here you're going to destroy everything I'm preaching. That's how he, he was arguing for a very passionate for his cause. He's arguing with passion. He's he wasn't praying. He really believed that God is good and just. Hashem, but you're just. I know you're just. How can you do this? So I can imagine he's he's calling God out. Takes a lot of chutzpah to do that. But he was so involved in the mission. He's part of the mission. He words, I represent America. How can America? I'm I'm the ambassador of America in. Uh, let's not say. Uh, uh, <laughs> let's not go there, okay, I'm the ambassador of Israel also. so I then, listen, i got to explain Israel to the world, ha, so I go back to the government saying, don't do those things, because the, government, the people in the world don't understand, we have to explain it to the world, PR so that's Abraham Veen Abraham being was, the prayer was not a prayer for Abraham, the prayer was a prayer for God, that's prayer prayer is when I'm not and that's a prayer which is going to be accepted, why? because I'm not praying a selfish prayer Plus I shouldn't pray for selfish prayers, it's very hard not to pray selfish prayers so that's the first, that's amazing. This, this, is, this is very powerful. Because he's not praying for himself. He's praying for others. He's not even praying for others. He's praying for God and the others. You're going to desecrate your own name. I wish we had someone like that who pray before the Holocaust. Someone who could sit up and say, Hashem, please, look you what you're going to do. You're going to destroy. It was a disaster. It was a disaster. And that's what people, a lot of people just turned off God because of that. And that's what Abraham Vito is arguing. Maybe now, listen, in those days, Amr HaShem never had a reputation. This is famous Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, one of the great Musa rabbis, ethical rabbis, says he went once to an inn. Uh, and that time was the time of the Haskalah. In uh, Jewish history, Haskalah the Haskalah, the... Enlightenment. Enlightenment, so-called yeah. enlightenment. It was a time where Jews basically wanted to get out the ghetto. They wanted to be enlightened. They wanted to join the elite... The intellectual elites of the foreigners, foreign masses. So they wanted to join the German elites, they wanted to join the uh, Austrian elites. They didn't want to stay in the ghetto anymore. So they were turning into the Enlightenment, which is, religion is blasé. It's past. The time for Judaism is past. Judaism is the religion of the ghetto. We want to get out of the ghetto, we want to better ourselves. And Judaism is stopping us, so we've got to be enlightened now. What's enlightenment? No God. There's no God. So he goes to an innkeeper. In those days, all the inn's were a Jewish that was a very Jewish business an innkeeper um, one of the few things Jews were allowed to do so anyways he goes to the inn he talks to the innkeeper the innkeeper says you know I'm not religious anymore but last year you were religious I don't know where to fill it anymore but last year you want to fill it oh, it's past now I believe that modern man doesn't need all these things anymore you prove to me that God exists so I so, said so what am I going to tell this guy how can I prove to him that God exists so he's looking, looking around, he sees on the wall a certificate of an expert piano player. He says, tell me, he says whose certificate is that? That is my daughter. My daughter got a certificate, she learned how to play the piano and she's an expert piano player and that's her certificate. So I said, I don't believe that she can play. <coughs> I don't believe that she can play. <laughs> Bring her here and let her play for me. Let's see how well she plays. So the, she comes, he's, he calls his daughter in, Daughter says, I'm not going to play for you. I'm not going to. You think I think I have to play for everyone? If everyone doesn't believe my. Yeah, that's my certificate. You don't believe my certificate? I'm not going to play for every Tom Dick and Harry comes in the street and says, I don't believe she knows how to play. <laughs> so, his he says, Get, Hear what your daughter said. God did all the miracles. He's proven himself already. He took us out of Egypt. We're still here. We're here. We survived. And now you want me to prove that he exists. After all he did, he got a certificate. He doesn't need, he doesn't need to prove himself every second. <laughs> So that's the difference. The difference is Hashem does not have to prove Himself. In time Abraham, He did. Because no one knew about it. It's like a new thing. Abraham is trying to teach people. So Abraham says, right now you haven't been established in the world. Your name is not established in the world. How can you mess around? Okay. Interesting. So that is the first prayer, a real prayer where someone is really arguing. It's amazing. So why, so why did Abraham stop at the number 10? Now this is very interesting. I listened to it like two weeks ago. Why does he stop at the number ten? Any ideas? No, why? A <laughs> minion. He wouldn't go any lower. Why, why? God said that's enough. No, he didn't. He didn't say that. Abraham stopped arguing. He said ten, and Hashem left. Rashi says when the uh, when the defense attorney leaves, the judge leaves. Abraham stopped. So Hashem says, okay, you stop. I stop. Why did he go down? So number one is: countries say that in the flood, how many people are on the boat? eight he said listen there were eight sadikim on the boat and it didn't stop the flood so you can't go below eight plus God is nine you can't go below below nine below ten doesn't work that's one opinion second opinion there were ten Abraham thought there were ten sadikim in the midst of Saddam who were the sadikim well Lot go on keep going let's go Lot his wife, his wife. His son. how many sons uh, how many sons did he have because the Torah says his sons, mm-hmm. I thought there were son-in-laws. And son-in-laws. How many son-in-laws were there? I think there were two. Very good. So two sons. Who's counting with me? Four. Two son-in-laws. Six. Six. Two daughters who are married and two daughters unmarried. You have ten. Yeah. Lot says, "Listen." Abraham says, "Listen." Lot has a family. I'm sure they're all righteous. Lot was righteous. Means semi-righteous. <laughs> Relatively righteous. He's righteous. Compared to Saddam, he's he's righteous. Must be the same. So must be it's gotta be enough to save Saddam, so he stopped. It's a certificate. Exactly. But you know what happened? When the angel goes to Saddam, he says, Lot, tell your sons. That's why we know he has two sons, at least. He says, Your sons in the plural. Tell your daughters and tell your son-in-laws to come out. And you know what happened? They didn't listen. It says but he, came, he was like a joker in their eyes. Come on, he's telling them Hashem is going to destroy Sodom. <laughs> joker, <you> idiot! <laughs> so that was the end of that. No ten sadikim in the midst of the But that's maybe that's the reason why aram stopped at ten. Why did he stop at ten? could have said one. But he thought there was ten sadikim. He thought the family of Lot would be ten, maybe. Okay. But here we see, Rabbi, yes. isn't it also? I mean, the idea that. Hashem felt the need that he had to tell Abraham what he was going to be doing. I yes. Mean, Why? He Why? Out of respect and honor to him? Why? Because he's my ambassador. I better tell him what I'm going to do. He believes in me. spreading my name in the world. I'm going to tell him he's my representative. So Abraham, can you imagine, it's a self-appointed task. All of us can be representatives of God. And we should be. Because yeah. it's a self- appointed task it's not something which God says you're my representative well he did because you're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation we are the kingdom of priests priests to who? I mean we, are, we have our own priests we have the Qohanim so we priests to and the answer is we're priests to the rest of the world we have to be priests to the rest of the world so today it's not self appointed we've been appointed and we've got to live we've got to grow into the mission we have to grow into the mission today's very easy you can be a priest to the world without getting out of your chair you know how? Just tape all your classes and put it on the internet (laughs) And you get I don't know, thousands of people listening So So it's amazing, you don't have to do anything Today it's very easy to be a priest To the nations And there's so many priests out there A lot of them are garbage A lot of them are spreading bunk So to be a real good priest To say with the Torah view This is the Torah view Okay, so that's the beginning of prayer. Abraham Avinu is the beginning of prayer, but it's a prayer like no other prayer. He's not praying for himself. He's not praying for the world, in a sense. He's praying for God. I want your, I want your name to be great. I want your name to be respected. I want your name to be revered, Hashem. Hashem says, okay, I get it. If that's your intent, accept it. Accept it. Your prayer is accepted. I understand you're accepted. Okay. So there's uh one of the things that stop prayers being accepted is the intention, the motivation. What is the motivation? So if my motivation is for God, then that's like Hannah, we, we talked about Hannah, the prayer of Hannah, right? Right. Who are the seven prophetesses? <laughs> <I didn't remember. laughs> seven prophetesses. Sarah. Sarah, number one, Sarah, Miriam. Sarah. Hannah. Hannah. Hannah Esther. Devorah. Quickly. Hulda oh, was a prophetess, oh, very famous. And Abigail, Hulda and Abigail, seven prophetesses. Huldah, there's a gate in the temple called the Huldah Gate. That's how great she was. She was a prophetess at the time of Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu An-Navi. She was a prophetess, and when the king wanted to know what God's going to do, he didn't ask Yirmiyahu. He said, Yirmiyahu will give me a bad, he's a man, he's going he's to be tough. I want to go to a woman and ask her what she, what Hashem's going to do. I want a woman's uh, view of what God wants she's going to be sweeter and kinder. But she wasn't. Yeah. She wasn't. But it says Hilda would preach to the women and, and Yermia would preach to the men. So today, if you go to the Temple Mount and you stand in front of the Kotel, don't stand there, go around the corner. <laughs> Less crowded. <laughs> you go around the corner. You have to go into the, the museum. What is it called? There's a museum on your left side. When you walk into the Dung Gate, on the left side, there's a mu- entrance to the museum. You got to pay out in the ten shekels or whatever it is. You go in, and f- and you then you walk underneath the ramp, which goes to the Temple Mount. And you go on the right, and you come. You can actually walk up to the walls of the temple. And over there, you'll see toilets, bathrooms that they dug into the earth, and and mikvahs. And uh, and then you go. You can walk all the way up to the Huldah Gate. I walked up to the Huldah Gate on the steps. When you come to Huldah Gate, it's locked, of course, because then the Arabs have the Temple Mount. So, but it's locked. But that's called that's the Huldah Gate. Yeah, of course. So the Huldah Gate is there. You go to Huldah Gate, and it's still there. So Huldah's memory lives. She has a gate up to the Temple Mount named after her. Huldah's not a nice name. Huldah means a weasel. It's a very strange name for a woman to give you an, the name of your. A weasel is like a rat. It's the rat family. It, it, Hey, Vav Lamid Dalit Hey, Hulda. Hulda. Hulda is an animal. It's a weasel. Mm-hmm. Where, where can we learn more about her? Look, in, there's a good book. There's a fantastic book called Ishei HaTanach It's a fantastic book. I've, I haven't seen it for a while. I used to hide it because I know people are going to take it. <laughs> it's a pink book, very big book. And it's called People in the Tanach It's fantastic. It has everyone. It's like an encyclopedia. It gives you all the sources about every person. So it give you a source from the Midrash, Gemara, whatever it is, all the sources about Huldah they'll give you all the sources. Anyway, it's mentioned in the book of Yirmya. The king went to ask Hilda. He didn't want to he was scared of asking Yermyow. Get a bad You go to a man, you'll get a tough response. You think I'll go to a woman, I'll get a very nice, peaceful response. And she was also tough boy. No, you can't do it. Listen. If God tells you something, the prophet's gonna say it. Well it's not, it wasn't she was tough and he was tough. It was the, the message was a tough message. Anyway. So we talked about the prayers of Abraham. And we talked about the prayers of. Quickly, who are we talking about just now? So the prophet, Hannah. Hana, She was praying to Hashem for a child. What was she praying for a child for? I'm praying for a child to serve you, Hashem. I'm not praying for a child for me. I'm praying for a child for you. And the proof is, she dedicates the child to God. Where in the, the Beit Midrash? She never saw the child. She put him in the in the temple. And he was raised by the queen. He dedicated for the age of three. He was dedicated to God, so he became Shmuel, Samuel the prophet. And he had prophecy from a very young age. Come on, he's living in the temple. actually. it's wild, uh, hard to imagine to hear a voice at the age of I don't know seven years old. He was seven. Shmuel, Shmuel. Well, oh, that's all inspiring. So he runs to Eli. Eli, you talk to me. He says, it "Wasn't me, my son. Go back to bed." Goes back to bed. Shmuel, shmuel. And I say, Eli, Eli, you call me? He says, No, he says. But if you hear the voice again, it's Hashem talking to you. That's amazing. That's what Hannah wanted. Hannah didn't want a child, a regular child. I want a child who will uh, serve you, Hashem. So that is a very high level thought. And that thought can be answered. Hashem says, You want it for me? No problem. You want it for yourself? Let me I check your books. But if you want it for me, it's answered. That's it. That's a, the that's a way to answer prayer. So the question now is, what stops our prayers from being answered? So number one, we said if it's selfish. Number two is a person has doesn't have a right kavana. What's kavana? The prayers are not pure prayers. There's all sorts of foreign thoughts, and that's our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is when we pray. All of a sudden, I'm in the Bahamas. I mean, I've never been to the Bahamas, but I'm just I'm just giving an example. So all of a sudden, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. But pray to God, but, but there's all sorts of foreign thoughts in my head. So Hasid came to a Rebbe. He said, Rebbe, he says, when I pray, I have so many foreign thoughts. So Rebbe says, they're not foreign thoughts. They're all your thoughts. (laughs) Don't blame the foreigners. They're not foreign thoughts. (laughs) They didn't come from somewhere else. They're your thoughts. They're my thoughts. Yeah, they're my thoughts. So therefore, I'm going to be in control. You know, the hardest organ in our bodies to control is our brains, our minds. That's why prayer is called Avodah it's hard work why is it hard work? to focus the mind is the hardest work so they're all our thoughts we have to get rid of these foreign thoughts why? because the foreign thoughts get entangled in our prayers and stop the prayers from going up very simple the foreign thoughts entangled in our prayers it's like you're caught in the thorns you're trying to get through but the thorns are catching you you can't get through the the thorns are catching you so the same thing those those thoughts stop the the purity of of the prayers going up so we have to stop these foreign thoughts how do we do that? and the answer is if it's a genuine conversation and the truth is when does a person really pray is when they really need God badly that's when a person doesn't have any other concentrations because, yeah, today we pray but you know oh, I don't really need anything thank God I have everything thank God I'm not really in I'm not in the situation where I'm under pressure I need something very badly because if I really need something badly I'm going to pray with all my heart because I have no other thing in my head that's the only thing I want, I'm totally focused and that's how a person should pray person has got to focus on something they really want badly now, there's many things, thank God we live in a society where people have pretty much whatever their basic needs thank God a million times and we have to thank God for that but what about Israel? what about assimilation rates, what about uh, Jews in campuses, what about anti-Semitism what about this, there are so many things the person should really pray for right now because we don't know how it's going to end well actually we do, we're lucky we know it's how it's going to end, we just don't know how to get there I said, got <laughs> a guy in the show he always asked me, Harav, Harav Ma'ye, Ma'ye, basof, what will be at the end what will be at the end, what will be, at the, end? What will be at the end I said, basof and bayah <laughs> in the end, no problem, in the end Mashiach is going to come, that's for sure the question is, what <laughs> will be in the meantime. That's the question. which And that's what we have to pray for. Not we have today, to, tomorrow. Exactly. But we have to pray for now. The here and now. That's what we have to pray for. There's a lot to pray for today. So when they try and block our prayers, they throw in all these foreign thoughts. Uh, truth is, it's not coming from anywhere else. It's coming from us. And that becomes entangled in our prayers. So in a hot, to heart conversation, there's no foreign thoughts. If you're talking to someone, unless you're on a tablet or on your, your computer never talk to someone on your computer because it doesn't it's not respectful so who is it to it's usually kids come the kids come the father's on his computer dad yeah dad yeah <laughs> so it's a beautiful story it's a great story he says dad how much do you make an hour he said daddy he said <laughs> daddy how much do you make an hour he says make an hour So what he says, how much do you make an hour he says "Make two hundred dollars an hour Dad, here's $200. Can I have an hour of your time? Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Isn't that tragic? Oh. But that's what it's come to today. What comes to today is we don't have time for our kids. And you can see it today, and you see the effects of it. It's drugs, alcohol, abuse. The kids are wild. They have no respect for their parents. But they're getting the best education, and the, kids, the parents are paying through their noses. But they have a child mind, when they come home, they don't have their parents and that is the biggest tragedy and that's why you see so many kids going off the derrick that's my, that's my humble opinion is why these kids go off the derrick they get the best education and they're going off the derrick why? because they never had a bond with their parents and the bond with the parent is the main thing in life what are we trying to pass down? we're trying to pass down our values how do you pass down your values without you being there? you can't yeah and also if you take it further then when the parents are old they don't have the children just put him in the nursing home or whatever right, exactly it's not like years ago one of the famous uh, Russian authors I can't remember his name a very famous Russian author anyway, he wrote a story a very sad story about uh, the grandparent was living with the parents and the children saw the grandparent they saw how their parents treated their grandparents and they put them in a little room and they gave them basic food and they gave them furniture so one day uh, the, one of the sons was making a wooden spoon. He's carving a wooden spoon. So the father walks in, he says, Ah, you're carving a nice wooden spoon for your grandpa, right? He says, No, daddy. says, it's for you when you grow old. So the way we treat our parents, the way we're going to be treated, it's a, it's a vicious cycle. So anyway, so whatever we do, so we have to be around though. We're trying to transmit. And the problem today is, there's a problem with our transmission. The transmission, like you have a car. If your car, uh, happened to me, you know the rabbi's car? <laughs> a rabbi's car is, at least in those days, rabbi's cars were bone shakers. Right, bone. An old car. You buy an old car, you buy a second-hand car, you can't afford a brand new car. So you buy a second-hand car, and you know, after a while, the transmission goes. happened to me. Transmission went. I was actually in Washington, D.C. I took my kids, went to Baltimore to Neri Israel, and then we went on a trip to see the museums in Washington, D.C. On the way back, everyone's honking at me. I don't know, why is everyone honking at me? They're honking at me. I said, what's going on over here? Why are they honking? And they went <laughs> I said, better stop the car and see what's going on. All, so I stopped the car, get out. I tell kids, run out, quickly! The car's on fire! <laughs> There's a fire under the car! Oh it's a transmission We had a leak, and the, all the oil was getting on fire. I mean, that, I mean thank God nothing happened. <laughs> 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 that's, the, that's the old cars. You don't buy these old cars. Anyway... That's a transmission problem. The transmission problem is we have trouble transmitting the power from the engine to the wheels. Transmitting our heritage down to our children, which are our wheels. Our wheels are the next generation. That's what we have today. So how do we get rid of that transmission problem? How do we get rid of the foreign thoughts? Same thing. It's a battle. Being righteous. Trying to follow the right path is a battle. If it's not a battle, then there's no reward. Very simple. Hashem made us in a battle. He put us in a battle. So now, uh, the Midrash says, you know, after Sukkot, we come home, we, we shake our lulav and etrog, right on Sukkot. I said, what's going on? So the Midrash says an amazing thing. It says there was an army that was victorious in battle. And they come home. And they're all victorious. We beat the battle, beat the battle. And the rabbi meets them and says, you don't understand. The real battle is right here. The real battle is, the battle is your own Harrah Your own People in inclination. Our battle is inside. It's an inside battle. Our battle is, what time will I wake up in the morning? Shall I go to tefillah? Shall I go to Shir? Shall I do this? Shall I do this mitzvah? Shall I not do that mitzvah? That's the battle. Can I have covered out my thoughts when I pray? That's the battle. So when, when prayers are artificial, then there are foreign thoughts. If there's a hot hot heart conversation, there's no foreign thoughts. So when you're actually talking to someone and you know what you're going to say, there's no foreign thoughts. I can't talk to you if I have foreign thoughts, and I can operate in different levels at the same time, which is very hard to do. So, some people, what they do is they try to get rid of the foreign thoughts. How they shackle? You know what shackle is? They shake. You go to some places, they shake. You go to Brest, love. Oh boy, they're all over the shul. They're running here, and it's crazy. Like, they try and shake out the foreign thoughts by moving, moving around, shake, 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 shake. You can run an electric power station of some of their movements. <laughs> the Gemara says, it's Gemara 28b. Then Rabbi fell ill. His students came to visit him. They said, Rabbi, please teach us how we can get to eternal life. Teach us how to behave in this world so we can get eternal life. I want to go to Alamabah. I want eternal life of the soul. Look what he says. Number one, be careful with the honor of your friends, honor people. Don't put people down. Give everyone honor. That's number one. Number two. This is very hard. Keep your children away from temptation. So people buy their their children these phones. I'm telling you, it's not a joke. These phones, what are they called? iPhones. iPhones. Any any smartphone. You buy a kid a smartphone with internet access, you've given them a temptation, tremendous temptation. That's one of the things which is killing us today is destroying our children. Because the temptation is too great. So they've seen and they've seen all these things at a very young age. It's corrupted them. It's corrupted them. You see them? You see, so parents think, you know, I'm depriving my kid by not buying them a phone. No, you're not depriving them. You're building them up. You are a good parent. You're not depriving them. And they go to school and they see, ah, this guy has a phone. Uh, Mummy, this guy has a phone, this guy, how come you didn't give me a phone? Because I'm a good parent. And eventually they'll appreciate that. So number one, be careful with the honor of your friends. Number two, keep your children away from temptation. Temptation. Keep them away from temptation. It's very hot today. That is our biggest problem today. Temptation is in the house. Temptation is with the peers. So they're hanging out. Don't give them time to have spare time. Send them to the school where the homework is so much, they have no time to... Uh, Over here you have Shari Tzion for boys, right? Sunday, they go to school. You know Why? Because if not in school, they're up to something else. <laughs> it's better they're in school. It's very good, because my kids always get up early now. I mean, my kids, they don't get up late. They get up early. Why? Because they're so used to getting up early, you can't get up late anymore. I have a son who's, who's doing homework till 1 o'clock in the morning. He's still, awake, he's still awake till 1 o'clock in the morning. It's like, the way you grow up, that's the way you are. You think, you know what, let him sleep in on Sunday. Wrong! Never do that! You're destroying the kid! his Sundays are gone now he can't wait. He, the rest of his life he's going to sleep in on Sundays he destroyed him he lost his time it took me years to get out of it it took me a lot of work to get out of that late Sunday I mean, today it's still late Sunday, I don't want to do it in Israel <laughs> <laughs> we have an 8.30 minyan here yeah? you go there, it's not 8.30 minyan that's a late minyan yeah? that's where all the schleppers go <laughs> 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 uh, okay So, number one, be careful with the honor of your friends. Number two, keep your children away from temptation. Seat them at the feet of the rabbis. Let them go and learn Torah, your children. And when you pray, this is the hardest one. This is what I'm getting to. Know in front of whom you are standing. This is the hardest one. To visualize that you're standing before the King of Kings. How do you visualize such a thing? We don't even have a king today. We don't have kings today. The people are scared of people. You have dictators. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what we're talking about. Think of, I don't know, who, who who's the biggest dictator of the world? I don't know. Who killed you today if you don't stand up I don't know. Is there such a thing? Probably. China, you could say, has dictator I don't know, but if you if you make a mistake in front of him, is he gonna kill you? I don't know. I know Saddam Hussein would have. So sure they, they take people. You yeah, never know what kill, happens to them Stalin would have Stalin would have, sure. Sure, Stalin, no problem. Mm-hmm. Human life was zero, FS, zero. So be careful with all of your friends. Keep your children away from temptation. Sit your children at the feet of Tamir Habib rabbis. And when you pray, know in front of whom you are standing. That's a, that's a powerful one. That's a very powerful one. And that's the part that we don't get. When we're starting to pray, we forget who we're standing in front of. That's our problem. How do we visualize that? How do we think about that? So, you're not allowed to think about a body. You're not allowed to think about a person. You're not allowed to think about it when you pray. You're not allowed to think, God has a body, God has a head, God is a king. I'm not allowed to think about it. All you have to think about is his name Yudke Vavke. The name up there, that's all you can think about. Yudke Vavke. And that's why it's there. The people, when they pray, they should think, visualize Yudke Vavke. I'm praying to God. God is Yudke Vavke, but God is the creator of the world. That's who I'm praying to. The the idea of praying alone versus in a minion. There's more. There's more cover doing it in a minion, correct? Mm -hmm. What happens is a minion is a peer pressure. A minion gives you a place where you see everyone is doing the same thing, hopefully. And therefore that encourages you to do the same thing as well. Because we are social animals. We're not animals, but that's what they call us. Social animals mean everyone in the same group tries to act the same way. So if I see people trying to focus, even though I don't know what's going on in their heads. I don't know how they're focusing. But they're trying to focus, I also try and focus. So it's sort of encouraging me by seeing others do the same thing. It's encouraging me to do the same thing. Yeah, if you have yeah, the prayers go up together. They're not examined. When you pray by yourself, your prayers examined. When you pray with a group, the prayers go up all together. Phew, they all go. And that's the advantage of praying with a minyan. It's very very good, even for women to pray with a minyan of men. What do you mean? They're praying behind a mechitzah, but they're praying with a men over there, praying, and it's all the prayers go up together. <coughs> so it pays to come, and then you get the amen, you get the kedusha. It's it's. I'm sorry, have a problem. With that, I'm not sure it helps the that. One woman phrase I'm, I'm sorry I can't one. hear you say again I can't hear you yeah. <laughs> no I, I have a problem with that because I happen to like Minyan in in but I think that there's something loads to do about one woman being with all men it depends Even though the it though. depends it's not really, not really. you know used to do it is the shtipeless Rav Chaim wife that was she would say every morning and next minyan and she had a, a men minyan what does that mean she, she had a group where she would say brachot, and all the women would say amen on her brachot. So she was very, very special. I don't know what she did. She was a very special woman, and you can't argue with her. But their mechitza is like a wall. That's what the mechitza was like. So it depends. It depends on the situation. I don't think it's not sanuah for one woman to come. We have a mechitza over here, which is completely opaque. Anyway. But it depends. But again, it depends on you, it depends on your family. You can't just leave your family and your children. That's, that's the point. That's why women are not obligated. Why? Because they have other things to do which are more important. They're going to raise the next generation. <laughs> Can you imagine? A woman tells her husband, says, Sorry, dear, I, can't, I won't be here tomorrow. I'm going to Minyan tomorrow. Okay. So what is he going to do? <laughs> he say, But I'm lost. I can't do without you. I can't. <laughs> so anyway, that's, so there was a division of responsibilities. You look out to do this, you do that. And sometimes you need to help. Okay, Okay, so that's very important. Let's let's recap what he says. You want eternal life. Number one, be careful with other people's honor. Number two, keep your children away from temptation. Because you're raising them. It's your responsibility. You can't do Teshuvah, it says. The Raman says, 24 things that stop Teshuvah. One of them is, a person raised their children wrong. That child is because you did it to them. You know, it's very big psychology today as well about about what my parents did to me, right? <laughs> it's my parents' fault. My parents fault. My parents' fault. But this is a parent's fault because you could have raised them, but if they raised you properly and you went off your way, that's not their fault anymore. You can't blame Yitzhak for Esav Maybe you can't. I don't know. says he did. Because he didn't give him a special, unique education. Every child's got to give him their, their education. You've got to raise the child according to his way, not your way. That's the hard part. Isn't there a bracha at at Bar Mitzvah? Where Baruch she me on sure she'll say. Thank you, God, for releasing. Stopping me, releasing me from the other person's uh, pay, uh, punishment. Mm-hmm. The question is, who says it? That's why it's Friday we don't say it with a bracha. Because does the child say it, or does the parent say it? I thought it was the parent. Well, a uh, parent does say it, but that, that's why it's Friday we don't say bracha, because there's a big machlok in over here. Thank you for releasing me from the punishment of so-and-so. Who's getting punished for who? <laughs> <laughs> so, is it the child's getting punished because when a child's underage, he doesn't have any sins; he's getting punished for his parent's sin, and is it the parent getting punished for the child's sin because everything the child does under Bar Mitzvah is because of the parent? So you know what—they're both responsible. So you know the joke. The joke is that. Uh, that a, a daughter and her son were, were talking to each other so this is the way, the rabbi's son rabbi's son, rabbi's daughter and uh, the rabbi's son tells his sister, he says I'm a tzaddik he says, you? a tzaddik? you pinch me you pull my hair you, 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 you bother me and you call yourself a tzaddik whatever I do, it's on my father's account <laughs> I'm under bar mitzvah whatever I do, it's on my father's account so there's another, another story That a rabbi was giving a lecture once and he asked the crowd, he says, Tell me, he says, who is your biggest, your parents' biggest pleasure? Your kids. So a a girl stood up, I am my parents' biggest pleasure. And then the rabbi says, And who is your parents' biggest pain? And the same girl stood up, she said, My brother. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, let's go through. So number one is, Give honor to other people. Number two, be careful. Don't lead your children to temptation. Number three, make sure your children learn Torah. And number four, when you pray, know in front of whom you are praying. And these are the four ways you get eternal life. Wow, powerful. Beautiful. So, the question is, what do you mean? Know in front of whom you are What do you think I'm praying for? Who do you think I'm praying to? Why go, why go to pray? Of course, it's so obvious. Know in front of whom you're praying. Of course I know it. I wouldn't pray otherwise if I didn't think I'm praying to God. Of course I know I'm praying to God. Mm-hmm. No, Rabbi Yevon says, da. Know it. Make sure you fix it in your head. When you pray, there's a God in front of you, standing in front of you. Know it. There's no there. It's not just talking to yourself. So you need to have Kavana, a real concentration. That's hard, that's hard. How do you get Kavana? So the so Gemara says in Brachot, it says the early righteous ones, the early pious ones. It was called ha HaRishanim. The early righteous ones. The early pious ones, not the Hasidim today. The Hasidim HaRishanim, the first. It's interesting. The Gemara talks about the early pious ones in the time of the Talmud. And then you had the chasidei Ashkenaz. You had the pious ones of Ashkenaz of Germany. Wow, these guys were... Whew, pious. These guys were special. Really, honestly, these guys were awesome. Awesome. Awesome people. And then you had the Hasidim. The movement. Hasidim. So there are different level, stages of Hasidim. The only pious ones were Abraham Vino. The pious one. Who was the pious one? Abraham. Yitzhak. Yaakov. These were pious people. These were their wives. Sarah. Oh boy. Woman who was pious. husband, they couldn't even see her beauty. Can you imagine? She was so sanuah. She was scary. Okay. So the Gemara says, said, no, no in front. You've got to keep on thinking about who you're praying to to get that concentration because the main thing in prayer is the concentration. So early pious ones, the Gemara Mishnah says in Brachot, chapter 5, the early pious ones would wait an hour before prayer. They're meditating before prayer. We just whew, zoom into it and zoom out of it. They meditated for an hour, wow. they prayed for an hour, and then they meditated again after another hour. Wow. Three hours each prayer. So shacharit three hours. Mincha, three hours. Arvid, three hours. Nine hours a day they prayed. So Gemara says, you're praying nine hours. When do you go to work? So Gemara says, you pray for nine hours, Hashem will make you successful. Whatever you work at, Hashem will give you success. You pray for nine hours. But the trouble is, even if you pray for nine hours, how much concentration do you put in that prayer? It's not the, pr- the time, it's quality. It's prayer is quality, it's not quantity, it's quality. Okay, we'll stop here. We've got a message. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a message. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by torahanytime.com.